How are y'all doing today? Good. Doing good? Are you ready? Yep. You ready for the word? And uh, if you're brand new with us, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know it can be scary coming into a church because you don't quite know what to expect. You don't know if they're going to serve good coffee or cheap coffee. Um, when I was in charge, it was cheap coffee. Now that Pastor Stevie deals with it, it's expensive coffee. Um, but that's okay. It's paid for by your tax dollars. Um, because good coffee matters, right? It does. But I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in online. Um, again, it's, it's, it can be a scary thing coming into your church. You just don't know what to expect. But what I hope today is to teach a message that, that made you glad you came, that, that you showed up, whether you ever come back again, uh, but a, a lesson that will help you in your life. And that's really uh, what the Word of God is all about, because God has a good, good purpose and a good plan for your life. And so today as we, we get into the second part of our series called Decisions and Destinations, uh, I just want to tell you that God has a plan for your life and it's good. It really is. It's a good plan. Do you believe that? Yes. And some of you are like, I'm going to say yes, but I'm not really sure or not. But last week we talked about God's plan isn't always easy, but it is always worth it. It's not always easy, but it is always worth it. There was a man who was late speeding down the freeway and, and uh, no cops in sight. And all of a sudden there was a cop in sight and he gets pulled over. And the man says, how did you know I was speeding? And the cop just points up in the air and just kind of just shakes his head. And the man says, even God's against me. But what he didn't know, it was a police helicopter that was also running traffic that radioed ahead. And a lot of times in our life, we get caught for speeding, we get caught for doing something that's wrong and we get stopped for it, we blame God or we blame the officer instead of saying, you know what, I was going too fast. I did something that caused the traffic stop. And so this man had the perspective that even God was after him. Well, if God was really after you, don't you think you would be in a worse predicament than you are right now? Right. I mean, if God really wanted to get you, you know, it's just more like a, a flick of a tick. You just, boop, you're done. Uh, that's not how God works. Thank goodness. All right. But God has a plan, and the plan is going to take positioning, and I'm referring to our lesson today. Last week, if you weren't here, uh, we talked about Mary and Joseph, and it was like basically the after Christmas. Like Jesus was born, they were in Bethlehem. Uh, about a year and a half, two years later, we looked at the story where, where King Herod had these wise men show up, and it was the Magi, and, and you would know it as the three kings or the three Magi, and the Bible does not say there was three kings or three Magi, it says there was three types of gifts that they brought, and so we don't know how many many uh, magi there were, but what we do know is that they were seeking the, the new king. And they show up to, to Jerusalem and they're like, where's the king? He was born and, and King Herod, who was a very, very, very insecure leader, um, he was alarmed at this. He's like, somebody's here to take my throne? Like, and so he, he did some research and found out, okay, where is the, the, the king of Israel, the Messiah, to be born? And they said in Bethlehem, uh, according to the prophets. And so Herod puts out this decree uh, to find this baby because he wants to kill him. He wants to kill baby Jesus. And, and he doesn't find him. And he has all the, the boys two years old and under slaughtered in the whole vicinity because he was trying to kill the, the, the king that would eventually, he thought, take his throne. And we talked about how often... We, we think that people can kill God's plan for our life, but they can't. We are the only ones that can stop God's plan for our life. That no man can stop God's plan for your life. We're responsible to do that. And so we're going to look at a, a scripture today uh, of something that happened within the story that I want to deal with. Who likes working out? Anybody just enjoy working out? Remember John Cougar? Before he was John Cougar Mellencamp? If you're under 40, you're like, who is that? All right, he was a singer in the 80s. He had a song called Hurt So Good. Yeah, my older brother was a really good distance runner, and he had a T-shirt made up, and it said Hurt So Good. There was something with running that hurt but felt good at the same time. Sometimes life is like that. And so there's five Ps today that I want to talk about. Number one is the plan. That God has a plan for your life, and you have to believe it. Like God has a plan for my life. With this plan, there is positioning. We, we're in the stages of, of working on the plans. We're building the new building, if you don't know that. Um, and I, we met with the, the supervisor this week, and he said that they got the parking lot done faster. He said, so we may get to start on the foundation uh, sooner than we thought. So that's a good thing. Uh, so the parking now is that direction instead of out there. All right. But there's a positioning. We had to put tanks under the ground to position them to take the water runoff, things that you will never see but are absolutely necessary. Okay, and a lot of times the, the things that are on the inside are more important than things actually on the outside. So there's a plan, there's a positioning, and then there's a process. 
that God takes us through a process to get us to that place he needs us to be. And within the process, there's the two Ps, there's pain and there's pleasure. There's the pain of going through it, but there's the, the pleasure of what it produces, okay? So the pleasure comes from the results of what you're going through. I don't want to paint this picture that obeying God is only going to be painful because I think sometimes preachers can do that. Like if you serve God, life's just going to be really, really hard. Well, wasn't life hard when you weren't serving God? Like some of you were serving God now because life was hard. Like you, you, you used to say yes to a lot of things you now have to say no to. But what I have found is when you begin to say yes to God, life doesn't necessarily get easier, but it does get better because you're forgiven. And so if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, okay, there, there is a place if you died rejecting Jesus, hell awaits you. And that, that's what drives me as a pastor to say there is a heaven and there's a hell and God has provided a way through Jesus that all we have to do is ask him to forgive us, to come into our life and you get instant heaven. Amen. Like, isn't that good? Isn't that, it's that easy. There's no waiting period to see if you're serious. Isn't that good? Yeah. Like, you get the salvation. Okay, there's a three-day waiting period. Okay, what if Jesus comes before then? <laughs> or what if I die? No, the moment you ask Jesus to forgive you is the moment your name gets written in the book of life and that is good news for us. That's good news for us. And so we give our life to Jesus. Heaven becomes our home. Well, then it's, okay, between now and heaven, it's battling our way there. And so life, again, can be painful. It can be hurtful. But what I've found is the best thing in the world is to be in God's will, living your purpose. Is there going to be pain involved? Sure. But there's a lot of joy and a lot of happiness involved, too. But I just have to be honest that it's going to hurt sometimes because I think anything that's worth fighting for takes a little bit of pain. All right, today there's going to be some football on. There's going to be some football games. And I want to see the pain, Chris. Don't we want to see the pain? Do we, want to see, we want to see the safety just drill somebody. Our safety drill the other team's person, right? Don't we want to see that? You bunch of softies, we watch football for the collision, right? We, 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 we like the collision. I mean, if you're into badminton, that's cool, right? But... <laughs> There's not a lot of pain in badminton. The best thing with badminton is when the racket comes out of the person's hand and hits the other person. Then it's like, oh, that's interesting because that would get the most YouTube watches, right? So we, we have to understand that things happen in sports, especially, let's use that as an example. Sports, most sports is full of, of injuries, Okay, even in baseball, somebody gets beaned or he gets, I mean, there's something that happens that causes pain. So if you cause pain in a sport, you just quit playing the sport. Well, I tried baseball, but I got hit by, I got hit by the pitcher, so I, I quit. I got, I got hit, and when I was in Little League, I got, got hit by a kid who got drafted by the Dodgers. His name was Gary Young. He beaned me, and I was like a flopping fish at home plate, man, because it, it was hard. He was a big, big guy, and I was pretty big myself um, <laughs> when I was around the second grade class. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I gotta make fun of myself here on earth because when I get to heaven, I'm gonna have a big body like y'all. Um, and so, anyhow, uh, I, I got hurt, but I didn't quit. Okay, you, don't, you don't tell your kids, well, yeah, there was a little bit of pain in the sport, so you should quit. Find something that doesn't hurt as much. Now, they may decide they don't like to get hit, but pretty much every sport is going to have an element of pain, and yet we still do it, yet we still watch it. And so in our life, if we're like, well, it hurts, so I quit, that's not the, the way they got. I know a lot of people that quit church, and you know what the thing is? Well, I just got hurt at church, so I quit going. Is that really the right approach? Like, I, well, I got, you know, hurt in second grade, so I quit going to school. Well, I got hurt in a relationship, so I quit having a relationship. If we quit every time something caused some pain, we would have no life. We would be like a hermit up in the woods, right? Which to some people sounds like a great life. There are moments, especially if you're a mom of many children, you'd be like, I would love to be a hermit for a while, right? Just to, to regain my composure. But the best thing to be in the world is really is living in God's will, living your purpose. But I just have to, again, be honest with you, that it's going to hurt sometimes. So my challenge to you here is don't give up when it gets hard. Anything worth pursuing is going to hurt just a little bit, okay? Maybe a lot, but that's what makes it worth it. Most people quit when it gets hard. Uh, over the Christmas season, we watched Forrest Gump. And, uh, and there was a scene in there that relates to today's message. And it's when Forrest finds Lieutenant Dan and he's, you know, he's a, he's a hippie. It's in the late, late 60s or 70s, I guess. And, uh, and they're partying at New Year's and they have the two ladies of the night there. And, um, you know, I love the part where Forrest, you know, she tries to kiss on him and he's like, you taste like cigarettes. Um, and I, I love that. And, and so, but there's a moment where, when this girl or this lady of the night stops and, and she watches, they're watching the ball come down. And she stops and, and she says, I love New Year's. 
because it means a new beginning. And I, and I said, you know what, lady, she's an actress, obviously, but you're fooling yourself. Because just because the apple drops, just because the calendar turns does not mean your life is going to change. You see, she, she equated change with what she had hoped would happen on its own. But you can't live that party lifestyle with, with, with drunkenness and sleeping around and expect life to get better. You have to make a change. So it's important to look at 2023 with 22 in mind, to look at the good and the bad of 2022 and evaluate it. But first things first, the foundation of a blessed life is obedience. It is. Let's just get that. That, that is the most important thing you can do is simply obey. So which leads us to the scripture in Matthew chapter 2, 13 through the 14. Again, if you were here last week, um, you know the full story, but I want to look at two verses in the story. And it says this, okay, after the Magi had come and they had given Joseph and Mary uh, frankincense, gold, and mirror, they, they went from being really poor, basically, to being very, very wealthy. Last week, I said that kings aren't given chump change by people that travel that far. They probably brought camels full of gold and frankincense and, and, and myrrh, things that were worth a lot because you don't just throw a few quarters to the new king. You give your best. And so I can imagine the elation that Mary must have had, that Joseph must have had to really be struggling. And all of a sudden you have all this wealth. You go from poor to rich in a day and the emotion that must have come. And Mary was probably starting to dream that I can, I can get pioneer woman stuff now. And, and Joseph's like DeWalt instead of Ryobi. I can really, I can, I mean, I, I can really build something with this. I often wonder, did Jesus know about power tools when he was a carpenter going someday? Like, someday. Someday there's going to be a power planer, and, but I can't, you know. And I often wonder sometimes because he could make something from nothing when nobody was looking, did he ever make a power saw? <laughs> like he just looked, I, I don't know. But maybe we'll be surprised when we get to heaven. Um, I, I, again, I think weird if you're brand new. I'm always like this. My brain is always just thinking about stuff like that because Jesus knew the future, right? And so they go from poor to rich in a day, and it's amazing, but something happens this night, and it's like, Lord, couldn't have, couldn't have given me a week to be rich? But here's what happens. is after they had gone, again, we don't know time frame, but it says after, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, meaning it was night. He was sleeping. It's the second time this angel has showed up. The last time he said, Mary's pregnant and it is of God because he was planning on leaving her. And, and, he's, and the angel says, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. In verse 14, it says, Joseph argued with the angel. He said, you know what time it is? You show up at midnight to wake me out of a deep sleep as if I'm not already sleep deprived. But I have to think that Jesus probably never cried. He was like the perfect little baby. You ever heard that term, they sleep like a baby? That is the stupidest phrase that I have ever heard anybody say. That is made by somebody who has never had children because you get sleep deprived. I think Jesus probably slept through the night. But Joseph argued with him, this is a terrible time. We just got rich. Why would you want me to leave? No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Joseph, it said, he got, so he got up, okay? Angel says, get up, like right now, take your wife and son and go to Egypt. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt. You see, there was a command here, but verse 13 means nothing without the response of verse 14. The command was get up and go. And what did Joseph do? Joseph got up and he went. Now there was another man in the Bible that if you've been in church very long, you're familiar with. His name is Jonah. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, and it will always cost you to run away from God, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The whole story is, is he, he would go about a thousand miles the opposite direction. But it wasn't smooth sailing. The, the, the sea began to just churn and get big. And Jonah was down in the hold sleeping. And the pilot and, and all the cabin were like, what is going on? Or, this is crazy. They were throwing stuff overboard. And Jonah's down there sleeping. And so they go down. They wake Jonah up. They're like, dude, you need to call on your God. And Jonah's like, yeah, it's my God's fault. Actually, it's my fault. And they're like, who's your God? He's like, the God that made the sea. 
That's a terrible thing to tell the sailors who are about to get their, their ship sunk, right? And, and so they're like, well, what do you do? Call on him, make him stop. And he goes, God's doing this because I was disobedient. He's like, I'm running from God. At least Jonah was honest. You know, I love honest sinners. I do. I love Christians that used to be Christians. They're not anymore. They're like, no, I just ran away from God. That's, that's just what I'm doing. I'm running from God. They don't, they're like, they're like I'm just running from God. That's what I'm doing. I like that honesty. What scares me is people who think they're right with God who are running from God who still think they're right with God. Those are, those are the ones you're like, no, you, just, you need, we'll deal with that in just a little bit. All right? Because God is, will always pursue you. But there was a plan, there was positioning, and there was a process. Joseph had to obey. And so when we look at God's word and we say, okay, this is what it says, it, the, the, the question isn't the knowledge, the question is, are we gonna do what it says? That, that's, that's what God is looking for, because we can know, but if we, if we know without doing, all right, it goes very bad for us. So what happens to Jonah? Jonah's like, I would rather die than preach the gospel to the Ninevites. And what, what Jonah's excuse was, is I knew they would repent, and I want them to die. I mean, he was, he was like the worst evangelist ever. It's like the entire nation got saved. There was like a million people got saved, and he was mad about it. Now, I know many evangelists who preach, and they'll get like 10 people saved, and oh, yeah, 50 people raised their hand. It was like, they call it evangelistically speaking. It means you say more people got saved than really did. But Jonah was the greatest evangelist in history, and he was actually mad that they repented and God had mercy. That's how much he hated the Ninevites. It's a crazy story. So what happens when the captain says, man, pray in your God, and Jonah's like, it's my fault. He goes, just throw me overboard and everything will be fine. They're like, no, we can't do it. He's no, really. He would rather die than obey God. And so what do they do? They throw him overboard? And what happens? God provides this whale or this fish, whatever it is. We're not going to argue about it. It's a big sea creature, swallows him up and takes him and spits him out in Nineveh. Amen. I would say running from God is a bad thing. Amen. It's a bad thing. You don't want to get spit out, okay, on a beach with seaweed wrapped around your head because it describes what he looked like. And then he finally wouldn't preach. I don't want God to have to do that to me for me to obey. So God says, Jonah, go. Jonah says, no. God says, or through the angel, Joseph, go. And Joseph says, okay, I'll do it. Immediately got up and they left. God addresses the Israelites in Jeremiah. And we have hit this verse probably four times in the last three months. And as soon as you live it, I will quit preaching it. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. It's in the men's bathroom. It's a great verse. We love this verse. Let's read it together. It's about God's plan. Because we have to understand God has a plan for my life. He says this, Jeremiah 29, 11, Pastor Stevie preached a great message uh, a couple months ago about the, the whole context. And it was the Israelites had been taken captive uh, to Babylon and they would be there for 70 years. And in their captivity, this was the verse that, that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Who doesn't like this verse? Who doesn't want God to bless them with prosperity? Who doesn't want God to, to, to not harm you? Who doesn't want God to give you hope in a future? We love this verse. You know why we love this verse? Because at face value right there, it doesn't require anything of us. This is all God going, I hear, here you go. I got plans. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. And I will tell you, just because you have plans doesn't mean it's going to happen. We have plans for this building but you got to get equipment in here. you got to get manpower and women power and people power to get in and do something. I would love to walk in one day, Scott, and, walk, and drive up and have the building there. I'd be like, praise Jesus. And the painting was done because I'm going to be doing the painting because the bid was 90 grand and that's what I used to paint for a living. So we're going to do that. And we got a cool lift because I'm old. I climb up ladders now, man. I'm like, I'm sore, all right? Lord, bless the man who invented ibuprofen because um, it's good. But we love this verse. It doesn't require that. But what's the context of the verse? It goes on to Jeremiah 29, 12 for the 14. Now let's read that. Then, okay, so God makes the promise. I got these plans for you. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me when it's convenient for you and when you feel like it. Is that what that says? That's why it's important to know the word of God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. A-L-L, all of it. Not just half-heartedly, not just when I feel like it, not just, well, I have a bad week, so I'm not going to read my Bible, I'm not going to do, all right. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. 
I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you in exile. Again, he's referring to the Israelites there, but it applies to us because we're part of God's family. What, what does that first verse require? It requires action on our part. You have to obey me. It's a conditional thing. God says, I have this plan, but you got to do your part. you got to seek me with all your heart. There's a cause and there's an effect. So how we approach 2023 really matters um, how it turns out. Some things, okay, if you've ever been on Franklin Road, there's a, there's a company called BMC West. Anybody seen it? BMC West, it's a, okay, you, you might recognize it. For me, the BMC stands beyond my control. Beyond my control. There are things that happen to you that are beyond your control. There are other things that are under your control and how you approach things matter. Now, where I grew up in a little town, a little logging town in, in Orleans, California, it's in the northern, very, very north. You know, you say, I'm from Northern California. I'm not talking Frisco. I'm talking like Oregon border. In the, on the boonies, on the Klamath River, a town of about 500 people. Uh, where I grew up, great place to grow up, um, it had a little airstrip. The problem with this airstrip is it wasn't very long and it had a mountain at the end of it. Yeah. That was like, it was over, you fly over the river and, and if you missed, okay, you were basically dead. And I remember a time when my friends and I had heard about a plane crash because when in a little town you hear about that, we went to the wreckage and there was a twin engine, I believe, a plane that hit, was in the trees and it was all burned up. And I remember walking around it and we were like, it was like very solemn. Okay, because my dad has a, had a plane and we flew a lot. And it was solemn to think people died here. People died here. What happened? What caused it? Well, what caused it, from what my understanding, is airspeed. They came in too fast. They came in too fast. It was a, too small of an airport for the plane, or they didn't pay attention to what was called a windsock. Okay? If you're not a pilot, you don't care what the windsock is until I tell you the story. Then you're going to be wondering what the pilot knows about the windsock. You know what a windsock is? The big orange thing? Okay. That thing tells you which way the wind is blowing. And if the wind is blowing toward the mountain, it's probably a pretty good idea to go around and, fly and land into the wind because it will slow you down. And so with this, this airport, most of the time the wind was blowing the correct way, but there were times that my dad would look down, see the windsock blowing toward the mountain, and we would call this, we got to go around the barn, and dad would say, we got to go around the barn. Now, when you're a kid and you're not afraid of death, around the barn is awesome. Because you would fly right toward the mountain, and at the last minute you'd go, there was a barn down there, and, and you would just make a hard, hard left and come in and land. And we loved it. We thought this was awesome because we completely trusted my dad. My mom didn't always have the same faith. <laughs> and my mom and dad are here, so this is nothing new. Around the barn meant a little bit more to my mom, all right? And we were like, this is great, because it was like, ah, hard left, and then we would land. But how important is approach? If the windsock's blowing the wrong direction and you don't pay attention to it, guys, it can be life or death. And there are a lot of times in our life the wind sock is blowing, the wind is blowing in the direction, and we don't look at the windsock and we try to land on an airstrip that's too small, and it causes a lot of issues. And so approach really does matter. Okay, I love around the barn. I probably just created anxiety in you, mom. I'm sorry. Um, actually, I created a lot of anxiety in my mom growing up. So I was around the barn was probably nothing. Um, all right. And too many people take this approach to life where we just wake up and see what happens. We just hope for the best. We just hope for the best. You, you can't just hope for the best because hoping for the best doesn't have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're probably not going to succeed. Many people have used this phrase, well, I'm just waiting for my ship to come in. I'm just waiting for my ship to come in. Right now, I am literally waiting for my ship to come in. And I want my ship to come in carried by a beautiful woman. And my ship is coming in, being carried by a beautiful woman. If you don't know, this is my one and only wife. Yeah. I, I, want my, I want my ship to come in. Thanks, babes, for the ship. Now, some of you would say, that's not a ship. If you were in the Navy, all right, you'd be like, that's not even the size of the lifeboat. And I'll tell you all, I could fit in this lifeboat. You may not be able to. <laughs> some of y'all here, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> but, but I could probably fit in to the lifeboat. A lot of times in life, people are like, why well, just waiting for my ship to come in? I'm waiting, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. But what are you doing waiting for your ship to come in? Because when you wait for your ship to come in, you are relying on somebody else. Well, I'm just waiting to be happy. Well, who are you relying on to make you happy? Your happiness really should come from Jesus. That's, that's really where the happiness needs to come from. Other people can add to the happiness. But, but if my wife is my, my only source of happiness, 
That means that I'm putting everything on her, and that is so unfair. Like, well, I'm in a bad mood, but when I get home, you're going to make me happy. That is not her job. I mean, I want it to be her job. I want her to add to my happiness, obviously, and she does. I love her to death, right? But I can't even wait for my wife to bring my ship in. I can't wait for my wife to complete me. Sorry, Meg Ryan, that's not how it works, right? Um, No, here's what I have learned to do. This is probably from my parents being great parents. Instead of waiting for your ship to come in, why don't you start building a boat? Why don't you start doing something? Like you have a goal, you have a dream, you have a plan. You might have a dream job. Like what is it that I really want to do in life? Well, my first question would be, what are you doing to work toward that? Or are you just waiting, you know, for the CEO of, you know, Micron or Apple to call you up because God spoke to them and you're the man or you're the woman. Here, I want you to do, oh, it's me. No, that's not how it works. You start out low. You start out like in the shipbuilding business and usually you don't just start. Matter of fact, I don't want to get into a ship that it was the person's first project. Well, I worked in Legos when I was a kid, right? No, that, that's like, no, I want you to have some experience. So God wants us to put action to the plan. He wants us to start building a boat. And, and I would tell you this, don't wait for your ship to come in if you're not willing to start building a boat. Part of it is up to us, right? How our life turns out is up to us. And you have more control over the direction of your life than you might think. And that's good news. That means you can steer it in the right direction. Okay. Being in CUNA for 25 years, um, my wife and I have pastored this church here uh, for, for 25 years, um, if you didn't know that. And we've seen kids grow up. We have uh, an after-school program. We haven't ran it since, since COVID hit, but it was called The Zone. And, and The Zone, it was an after-school program for kids. Kids would come in here. There were some crazy kids. Yep. I mean, you would get kids whose parents would be like, when can I sign my child up? Because I can't control them. So they would want us to. And then we couldn't control them either. And we would look at these children and over this course of days and weeks, we would be like, I see the trajectory of where this kid's life is going. It's definitely prison. I mean, definitely. Like they're crazy. They won't listen. They're nuts. They're, you know, doing all kinds of crazy things. And then there's other kids that would come in here and they would go right to the homework room. Instead of playing the games and do it, they'd be like, I got to get my homework. And we'd be like, that's success. They will be, you know, the one working with the one in prison, all right? Um, and so we, we, we could see the trajectory of these kids. We could see where their lives were going for the most part by how they were living if something didn't change. Now, praise the Lord that some did change. And the thing is, we were right about some other ones that are in prison. It's like, but you can kind of tell the trajectory of people's lives, okay? So here with 2023, let's, let's put some application to this. Um, I want to say new year, better decisions. Because every single one of this can apply this. Like, new year, better decisions. So here's what I want to do. I'm like an evaluated type person. All right, so let's slide up here, and we'll go at, we'll look at it all together as new year, better decisions, and then, there we go. All right. So what went good? In 2023, what went good? Because there were some things that went good. I mean, sorry, it's been a week. 2022, all right. What went good in 2022? Okay, be honest about that. What, what good things happened? Okay, what went bad? And I hope that you can name a lot more good things than bad things, but that's not typical human nature, right? We typically look at what went bad. But there was a lot of things that went good in 2022. Okay, what went bad? What did I have control over? And what did I not have control over? And I think the last one is probably the most important one because it seems like the things we don't have control over are the ones that hurt us the most. It's the things that we're like, I can't control this. I can't stop this. What do I do? Okay. Did you make any New Year's intentions? Because we could call them resolutions. Anybody make any? Man, there was like four people in first service. So you guys all have it together. Or you're in total denial. I'm going to go with total denial, all right? Every single one of us have, have these, these I guess, ideas of a new year. Me personally, I don't put a lot of stock in new years. I don't wait till like midnight to make my, it's like, okay, I need to change now. I need to do it now. I'm not going to wait till the new year. I, I was friends with a lady one time who was going to go on a diet. Some of you heard the story before and she was going to go on a diet on Monday. So Sunday night, she went out with her girlfriends and had an ice cream, just a blowout ice cream. I ate all the ice cream. And I said, this is failing right now because I knew what they were doing. Like, we're going to go out for one last hurrah. I'm going to eat all the ice cream and then I'm going to start my diet Monday. That thing failed from the beginning, right? Because I was like, that's not the way you do it. So uh, again, if we approach life with, okay, I'm going to wait till a date and then start. No, 15 things I need to do to change. Don't do 15 things because you won't do one. 
Right? We're simple people. I, I would say, like, start with, like, three things that I need to work on or maintain. This may offend you. Start with making your bed. Amen. That's easy. It's easy to make your bed. And some of you are like, do you know who I sleep with? They're like, all over. Well, it, it's okay. There might be exceptions, all right? Here's what I do in the morning. Okay, Chris and I, it's whoever gets out last makes the bed. So it's a good motive to wake up at five o'clock. Um, here's what I do. I lay in bed. I did this this morning. Okay? I, I, I will op- I do this to the sheets. Like I make the bed from the inside. <laughs> Seriously. I spread out. I do this. And then after I shower, then, then I make it. And it may, so you, there's ways to do this. It, it shouldn't take you more than 30 seconds to make your bed. And that is one thing. Now, waking up doesn't count. First goal, wake up. That doesn't, that, no, that doesn't count. Maybe wake up on time, that might count, but not just to wake up. But, but make the bed, studies actually show that people that make their beds actually are more successful in life. Okay, this is something simple, all right? I'm causing marital issues as I speak. Um, my wife and I do the marriage life group, so sign up, all right? And we will do, we will do simple bed making things, all right? Other than my bed will already be made when you get there, right? Our bed gets made every day. It just does. Okay, Pick, keep your house clean. Keep your house clean. That, there's simple goals. You're like, but I have lots of children. Well, your children have hands. They can help, all right? There's, there's ways to do it. It doesn't mean, I mean, you're talking to a guy who armor all his engines on his car. I'm kind of weird. But you can keep your house clean. Here's, here's how I look at that. Take care of what God has given you. If God has given you a home or a vehicle, take care of it. I mean, it doesn't have to be spotless all the time, but I really believe that, that when Jesus said, if you're faithful, little things will be faithful, big things, that it plays in to the things he's blessed us with. Okay, and it's not the type of car you drive, it's just you can keep an old beat-up car, you can keep it clean. You can. All right, I'm speaking somebody's language right now. Probably my own, but um, that's usually what I preach from. What did I not have control over? Okay, a couple things that I added to my notes this morning. Be careful that you don't let things that you can't control completely control you. Let me say that again. Be careful that you don't let things that you can't control completely control you. They will affect you, right? They can affect you and they will affect you, but affecting and controlling are two different things. And some of you today, you're having a hard time with things that you can't change. Maybe somebody else made some decisions and it has affected you tremendously, but you're, you're like, it, it affects me and controls me. How do I change that? Well, you have to change the mindset. Will I let what they did control me for the rest of my life? Some of you are going to struggle today because your team is going to lose. Okay, some of y'all, your football, there's going to be some good football games on in the next week, and your team is going to lose. And here's the crazy part. You're going to allow their performance control your attitude. You're like, you bet I am. Uh, so they better win. Let me, let me tell you this. If your team loses, are you going to get a phone call tomorrow from their quarterback apologizing to you personally because they let you down? <laughs> they don't even know who you are. They don't care who you are, right? So we, we have this, this thing of, do, am I going to let somebody else's performance control my happiness? Of course, we get disappointed when our team loses, but do you understand what I'm saying? Like we, we can't base our, our life on somebody else's performance, and yet we often do. Many of you have probably heard the definition of insanity. Let's hear it again. It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Okay? We, we do the same thing over and over, and then we, we think the result is going to be different. Now, I'm personally mechanically minded. Okay? I got called to ministry. It wasn't something that I grew up and went, hey, I want to be a preacher. Uh, I, I wanted to fix things. I mean, I was, I was pretty good at mechanically fixing things. I was really good at taking things apart. Really good at taking things apart. My parents are here. They'll attest to it. Um, and, and here's the deal. I wasn't the smartest boy in the group. All right? There's four of us. I wasn't the smartest. Okay? I, I know kind of where I fall in certain things, but, but school was a little bit difficult for me. I tried hard, but I wasn't the smartest. My older brother's a med doctor. My, my younger brother is a computer guy, uh, runs a big, uh, helps run a company. And so I got to be the, the pastor because you'll accept anybody. <laughs> no, but I'm mechanically minded. Okay, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a mechanic. I wanted to fix stuff because cars don't talk back. Um, and, and so I have this thing of seeing the symptom and what's causing it. It drives my wife crazy sometimes because I'll see something and I'll start asking questions about, she's like, who cares? I'm like, well, I care. That's because you know, my brain thinks I see a problem. How do I fix it? And I would say that probably carries over into ministry. Like, I, I will look at, like, your marriage or your life or your kids or whatever, and you'll be like, this is what's happening. I'll be like, well, this is why. 
Because I think that mechanically minded that you think cause and effect. So I'm going to talk to you for a few moments about my 2002 F-150. I've driven it for almost 20 years now. I bought it in 2003, had 10,000 miles on it. So I know the vehicle. I know when it's running weird. I know pretty much everything about it. Um, in a marriage, if you take that same approach, she will always confuse you, gentlemen. Amen. Like she runs different on different, okay? Ladies, you know that, right? You're a mystery and we love it. And we hate it at the same time. Isn't that true? Ladies, you're mysterious. You are, okay? Uh, just to be open, my wife's love language changed this last year. It did. It's been gifts for a long time, and she took the test, and it's like all five now. And I'm like, that's not even fair, because I don't know which one to speak. And it's like, your love language is the one that I'm not speaking right now, and how do you, what do you do with that? I need a marriage life group to go to just to learn how to do this, but let's, let's talk about you, not me. Uh, but here's what happened. Last two winters, my check engine light comes on. Now, I know there's a problem, but it only does it when it gets really cold. And so I'm like, okay, it's sucking air, and there's a vacuum leak somewhere. It's, it's, it's sucking in cold air, which causes the engine to run a little bit different. And so I have a code reader, and my code reader will tell me, basically, this is what the problem is, because your engine is always doing diagnostics. You probably didn't know this. Some of you, if you're mechanic, you understand this, that your engine is running a, a test on your performance as it, all the time. It's, just, it's constantly monitoring what's going on, and if it has a problem, your, your computer in your car will actually adjust the engine, it'll adjust the timing a tiny bit, fuel air mixture. Um, some of you could care less about this, but it has to do with your car too, okay, unless you have a really, really old one. But this thing will tell you when the check engine light comes on, it'll tell you the basic problem. You plug it in, you turn it on, and it'll read, and it'll say, here's what some of the issues are. And my son jokingly says, the best way to fix a check engine light is to put a piece of black tape on your dash. Okay? And that's not the way it works. And so the last two winters, okay, it runs bad. Computer says there's a problem. So I, tie, I look in, and the code says 171 and 174. Okay, that's a, it's running lean on both sides of the engine. I'm like, it's an intake gasket. I had the intake gasket replaced by eight, 10 years ago, and I'm like, I don't really want to replace the intake gasket. I've never done it on this particular engine before, and so I would just live with it. I would live with it, okay? Plug the code reader in. You know what's really good about this code reader? It has a button called Erase Codes. It does. And, it, and you go in, and it says Erase Codes, question mark, and then it sa you say yes, and it says, are you sure? And I'm just like, Absolutely. And I erase the code, and the check engine light goes off, and I drive, you know, for five, ten minutes, and, and then the, guess what? Check engine light comes back on. Why? Because it's constantly monitoring the performance of the engine. And for the engine to run as it was made to run, it's got to have the right air-fuel mixture. And when it doesn't, it says, like, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. So here's what I did. I washed it, I detailed it, I waxed it, I changed the brakes, I armor-alled the engine because I'm weird, um, and, and it vacuumed it, cleaned it up, it looked great. And the check engine light went off and stayed off. Uh -uh. Totally fixed the problem. Uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you drive it. I mean, it looked good. It didn't come on as long as it was parked. <laughs> so no problem, right? Runs rough, not efficient. It doesn't get better on its own. See, I knew what the problem was. I'm mechanically minded. You know what's even worse? Scott, it was even worse. I had the intake gaskets in my shop. What? Yeah. Yeah, they're 20 bucks. They're cheap. Yeah, I had them in there for two years. And it says F-150 intake on it. And when I opened up my cabinet, I would see it down there. I would see it there. I'm like, there's the fix right there, baby. But just... Having the fix doesn't mean it was fixed. So there was one thing I lacked. I knew what the problem was. I had the part to fix it. I had even somewhat of a desire to fix it, but it lacked something. It lacked action. It lacked action because I had an idea. This is not just an hour job. So one morning about a month ago, I, I was like, you know what? This thing keeps running bad. And it's like, stop. It's like, rah, 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 rah. And, and I'm like, but it got me to where I was going. I get back and I hit the erase and it would come back on. I wish marriage was that easy. I can't plug you in. I'm going to hit erase. Wouldn't that be good, ladies, if he had a code and a, a way to erase his bad behavior? How many of y'all would buy that? Y'all, Every lady, you would buy that. I'm going to plug you in, and I'm going to reprogram you. Wouldn't that be good? You'd be like, boom, boom, bad attitude, sarcasm, lazy, all right, won't make the bed, um, won't wash my car. We would, we would do that because we'd like an easy fix. It lacked action, Okay. 
Did, did we show the pictures already? I can't remember. Piper, go ahead and pull the pictures up there of my, my truck engine, please. All right. Yeah, so on the left is what it normally looks like. And see all the stuff that has to come off to get to what's under that? That's why I avoided it. I was like, it's going to take me a long time. I, I know I can do it. I have the ability. I've never done this one, but I, but I know I can do it. So I, I thought, you know, I'm going to look at a YouTube video because I went to a Ford mechanic and he had like the step-by-step. And I thought, you know what? I can have this probably done. This was a Saturday. I can probably have it torn apart by the end of the day. And I will tell you, six hours later, I am putting the last bolt back on the engine. And I am praising Jesus because it never is faster than you think. And I'm like, Lord, thank you for number one for a guy, a Ford mechanic to put this on, like the step-by-step, because there's always that one little bolt that you don't know where it's at. And so I put new gaskets on it, put everything back together, started it up, and it ran great. It ran great. I was like, yeah, boy, till it gets really cold and I'm going to start up. And I drove it and it ran great. And so I'm driving, all of a sudden, the engine starts missing again. I was like, no! Like, I'm putting oil on it. I'm speaking in tongues over it. I'm anointing it in the name of Jesus. I didn't quite do that, but there is oil on it. So guess what I did? I pulled my code reader out and I plug it in and I look and it's not showing any code. And I'm like, if ever I need a code, and I'm praying now, I'm saying, Jesus, please just show me what code, because I, I need to know what the problem is. Now here's the good news. Okay, it didn't really do it when it was really cold. So I thought, I think I fixed one problem. And so finally the check engine light came on. You've never seen a guy so excited to have a check engine light come on. It was driving to church. I was like, yeah, and I plug it in. And it said misfire cylinder number three. I'm like, okay, now I at least know what cylinder is misfiring. And so I go to the cylinder and I put a new ignition coil and I found a wire that had pulled itself away. So it was getting a little bit of electricity to the spark plug, but not enough to run consistent. So I put a new harness on there, put it in. Guess what? It's run good ever since. Life is like that, isn't it? You fix one problem, and then another one pops up. It's just like that. You have to expect this is going to happen. But here's what I know with this whole thing. That you can't fix an internal problem with an outside change. You can't. See, we all have internal issues and we, we wash it, we clean it, we put new makeup on, we build our body up, we get new clothes, but it doesn't fix what's going on inside. And what God wants to do is say, today, there's some of us that he's like, I need to take some things apart so that I can get to the problem. Because you're trying to mask the problem, the real problem, by, by maybe new wheels and tires or whatever. You, you try something new on the outside, but it doesn't fix what's going on on the inside. I mean, is it crazy how we think that we can change something outside, but it doesn't do nothing on the inside? Yeah. We often will put up with something that needs change as long as we get by. Summertime, it ran fine because the air was warmer. Okay? Cold, it shrinks things, so more air was getting in around where it wasn't supposed to get to. But how painful or costly does it have to get before I change? You see, I see this in marriage quite often. There will be spouses that they're ready to change only after it's too late. Yeah. Ladies, I have to give you a lot of credit. You've, you've, in my experience, you've put up with a lot. And what I have found in marriage counseling sessions, by the time a woman says, I am done, she's done. Like a guy can be like, I'm done. And he's like only halfway done. But when a woman is done, man, that, that's scary. The problem is, is it was a check engine light on that you, maybe you kept ignoring. Okay, again, this is, I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm just saying 32 years of full-time ministry, this is the pattern that I've noticed. When a woman is finished, you better watch out. Hide the knives, lock the guns up because she's serious, okay? This isn't just a level of frustration at this point. But what I would ask us to do is when the check engine light comes on, when you have a little bit of an engine misfire in your relationships, stop and pay attention to that. Don't let it get to a tragic explosion where the engine's blown up and you can't do anything. Fix it on the small level, okay? Don't be ready to change after it's too late. Wouldn't it be great if you could get the Carfax on people? You ever seen the Carfax? Like any car you bike and you can pull up a Carfax that has the VIN number on it, vehicle identification number, and it will tell you every wreck it's been in. Like, because collision places, they have to do, they have to record that. Wouldn't it be great? Like if you met a spouse and you'd be like, okay, what's the, what's the Carfax on the Carfox? Like you're a, you're a fox, but what's the facts? Like what, 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 what relationships have you had? Um, you know, because we're pretty good at, you know, posting everything on farmersonly.com. Yeah. Or Christian mingle that you want them to see. And I don't suggest you go to those dating apps. I know it's a thing these days, but it's a little bit scary. Um, because everybody's always honest on those, and they tell you why they're 
past relationships are so bad. There's a car lot in Boise. I love this car lot. This car lot, I don't remember the name of it, but it's basically they're junky cars and they don't run good. And it will tell you this is what's wrong with this vehicle. It leaks oil, it squeaks, the main bearing's probably going out, but we'll sell it to you for 600 bucks. Like that's the only car lot I know that's honest. And I, I like it. It's like you can read through every problem of the car. Isn't that cool? Because most cars are like, yeah, everything's great. But what if we came with the life facts? I thought that would be great. And then I thought, but nobody would get married. <laughs> we'd look and be like, uh-uh, I ain't dealing with you. Okay? And you're not dealing with me. We would, love is blind. It really is, right? They say love is blind. Marriage is the eye opener. There's really truth to that. <laughs> but a lot of times, and let's close this up. A lot of times, I think our life is just like a kid with a poopy diaper. They will run from you. They will run from you when you want to change them. Right? You're like, are you stinky? They're like, ah, they, they run away from you. It's like, it stinks to everybody but the one sitting in it. And you know that. Well, if you leave it there, eventually it will cause a diaper rash. So if you're sitting in a spiritually poopy diaper, it's not my job to change you. My job is simply to look at your life, maybe run some diagnostics and say, bro, you stink. Like your attitude, your actions, you are so used to your sin. You're so used to your bad attitude that you don't even see how it's affecting other people. And again, that's really my job. I can't change you. I'm not Jesus. Only Jesus can change you. All I can do is point it out and say, hey, if you want your life to be better, you will come to church on a Sunday morning or a, or a Wednesday or tune in online and say, okay, I need a diagnosis. This, this is what's happening. There's a lot of roughness going on here, but I'm not sure what's happening. I can go, it might be an intake gasket. It might be something on the inside. It might be something that you're doing that's causing this. Hey, let's focus on this. And what I have found is that people that want to grow and mature say, you know what? I do have issues. I do have, I do have problems I need to work on. I have, you know, ignition problems. I have things that, that I know are affecting, but maybe not in the scope that I think. Because every kid that has a poopy diaper, right, it affects everybody else. You ever, you ever seen parents that, like, either they're ignoring it or they can't smell? Yeah. If you've been around children, you know that. You're like, whoa, bro. And they're like, what? You're like, your kid stinks. It is about the one thing that needs to be fixed, but we refuse to acknowledge that. We refuse to say, you know what? Maybe this is causing problems. Like, I love when she says, all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them, right? And here he is trying to be a good husband. Like, I know what the problem is. And she's like, quit trying to fix it. But there are times that, that God wants to fix us. And we're like, quit trying to fix me. But God's like, it's not just the nail, it's causing a lot of other issues. And if we just deal with that one thing, it will take care of a lot of problems. And in our pride, we're like, it's not about the nail, but it kind of is about the nail. It is about the things that are, we're doing, the things that we're causing our own issues. And we can run from it and we can deny it, but the fact is, it is about the nail. It is about the nail. Now, turning this to forgiveness and grace, it's about the nails that held Jesus to the cross. And it really wasn't the nails that held him there. It was his love for you and I. It was his love to say, there are my children and they're doing a lot of things to mess life up. I can help. I can help. And so again, that's what Christmas was all about. It was about God sending his son Jesus to fix a problem we created, to pull the nail out by having nails put in him so that we could be forgiven. And today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, like I said earlier, guys, there's a heaven and there's a hell. That drives me. And the older I get, the closer I get, to eternity, the closer I get to the day of my death, the bolder I will be to say there's a heaven and there's a hell and you get to choose where you go. It's not being good enough. It's not, well, you know, is, is it religion? No, it's not religion at all. It's about the fact that every single one of us will breathe our last breath. You can't fight that. You, I mean, you can fight it, but you can't stop it. It's going to happen. You will meet God. And God loves us so much. He loves what we're in, in, in the situations where he loves us so much that he sent his son to do what? To die for us. To die for us. Because the nail is our sin. Now, many of us in here have accepted Jesus as our savior. We're like, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a good one. I'm a good sinner. I, I can sin really good, but I need a savior from my sin. And there was a point in my life where I had to just to yield myself to God. And I grew up in church. I mean, I was a pretty decent kid. I, didn't, I, wasn't, I did a lot of honorary things, but I wasn't like doing a lot of sinful things. But I still had sin in my life that needed to be forgiven. And I came to that realization that I need Jesus to forgive me for my life to work. It's, it's, I got to get the forgiveness of God. 
And maybe today you're here or you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never really said, you know what? I have sin that I need forgiven of and that's the only way that I can get to heaven and I believe that. I need this Jesus you're talking about. You don't need church, guys. You don't need religion. Okay, you don't need a lot of things. What we really need is Jesus. And when we get Jesus, then we want to be part of a church family to help us grow. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, okay, hell is where you will go if you were to die in that state, if you reject what God has done. And you need to override the questions. Just go, well, what if it's not right? Are you really willing, to, are you willing, really willing to risk eternity over an opinion? over what you think, I'm gonna go with God's word. That the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Because guys, listen, if I'm wrong, there's nothing to lose. But the fact is we're not wrong. Jesus is there to forgive you. He loves you. He wants you to come home. That's what he wants. He's not mad at you. If he was mad at you, he'd have went, boop, done. No, he loves you. He wants you to come home. But you have to be willing to allow him to fix what's on the inside. So if you bow your heads with me just for a moment, and this needs to be a joyful, a joyful moment, that there is a God that loves you so much, more than you can even imagine. Uh, despite everything you've ever done, he knows everything you've done, he still wants you on his team. That's amazing. That's how much love he has for you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set your life in the right direction. But you have to be willing to yield it to him. You have to be willing to let the master mechanic take some things apart and put something new in you. And that's what God wants to do today. So if that's you today, I'm not gonna take a lot of time. I'm not here to pressure you. I'm just here to offer. If you want Jesus to be your savior, you've never asked him to be before and you want that, you want this grace and this forgiveness. If you just, just lift your hand up, just me and you and God, I'm not gonna point you out or anything else. But if you're here and that's you, you're just like, I need my sins forgiven. I wanna go to heaven when I die. You just lift your hand up, say, that's me. Okay, all right. I don't see any hands. All right, everybody look at me. I hope, that's, I hope that's good, okay? I would say today is the day of salvation. Why? Because the word of God says that. Don't put it off tomorrow, okay? Don't be like me for two years. Well, check engine light's coming on. It's running rough, but it's gonna get better on its own. No, never got better on its own. It took me going, okay, I need to do something about this. Amen, amen. I love you again. I hope that 2023 is an amazing year for you. If you've gotten, given up on hopes and dreams, let those come back alive in your life. God is not done with you. God is not done with you. We're, we're in Exodus on Wednesday. Moses just turns 80 years old and God says, I have a job for you. You're gonna lead a bunch of knuckle-headed, hard-headed people into the desert. He's 80. So if there's any 80-year-olds in here, don't be surprised if an angel shows up to your house tonight and says, guess what? Okay? Got a job for you. God's never done. Amen. All right. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And uh, I think I went a little longer than I did first service, but yeah, we're all right. We're good.